0: are on the line.
1: You are on the line with Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's enjoying their Tuesday. It's been a pretty good Tuesday for me. Going to talk a lot of college football today. Going to talk a little SEC football. Going to break down some of these midseason report cards for different SEC teams. How do we think that the SEC has shaped up halfway through the year? If you want to call in give your thoughts on what's going on in college football or in sports in general 334-321-1390 is the number to dial or text us at 334-564-1840 and once again Noah Gardner up in the mothership in Silicaga. Noah how are you doing today
2: doing really well lance how are you
1: doing good doing good and let's go ahead and get into the first segment of the show obviously want to start it off with some auburn conversation if you want to call in and give your thoughts on what we're about to talk about again 334-321-1390 want to start the show here talking about auburn's running game and the way that it has deteriorated over the last 3 weeks you know in the penn state game we didn't see auburn play as well as they had you know early on against akron and alabama state then we see them kind of struggle against Georgia State, Georgia State loading the box. LSU was a concern early on, but later in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, the game, Jarquiz Hunter was able to rip off a 44-yard run. Bo Nix, scrambling, just kind of kept the statistics alive in that matchup. And then this past week, Georgia, Auburn was, was held to essentially nothing. With Tank Bixby, who I think is back to somewhere around 100%. I don't think that's much of an excuse right now. His his health, I think he looks fine out there. Noah, is this a concern for Auburn with their run game just kind of deteriorating over these past few games?
2: It is if the passing game can't find its footing and rather quickly. Arkansas is a good football team. I don't know to what tier they belong yet in the SEC. I still don't know if we fully know where Ole Miss belongs in the SEC hierarchy or how good they are because we had questions about those two teams going into this past week's matchup where they played each other and they play each other to a one-point ball game where the defenses didn't really show up so I don't think we know a ton still about both of those teams you know enough to know what they're good at what they're bad at but you just don't know quite yet going into week seven where Auburn factors in is Auburn better than Arkansas is Auburn better than Ole Miss that's why we play the games and Auburn will be playing those games rather soon this Saturday in fact against Arkansas so is it a concern my gut feeling right now is no and the press conferences today you had Derek Hall you had Keandre Jones at the media podium today and Keandre Jones mentioned that the coaching staff has put a major emphasis on the running game this week, and that should be the Auburn game plan going into Saturday's game in Fayetteville. You're going on the road. You want to make things easy on your quarterback, and right now, Justin Ferguson posted something earlier today off of one of his film room articles on auburnobserver.com. I saw this on his Twitter page. Go and find him on Twitter, at JFergusonAU. This was a picture. He tweeted out a table of adjusted completion percentage for all SEC quarterbacks. And go figure, the quarterback in the SEC who would have the most drastic change in his completion percentage if you accounted for drops, it's Bo Nicks, and it's not even close, 17.5% difference between adjusted completion percentage and his regular completion percentage and that is because of drops from these auburn receivers right now opposing teams don't have to respect auburn's passing game the reason why auburn was able to close out lsu in baton rouge was because they were able to make LSU respect the passing game and pull some of their guys out of the box. And then look at the last couple of drives against LSU. It was Auburn running the football for the game-winning touchdown and ultimately sealing that game away. If Auburn is going to have success on the road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, they have to do something that they did two weeks ago. Just this time, they're going to have to do it against a better football team that's the question will they be able to run the ball against arkansas on saturday that has to be the emphasis i think they'll be able to old miss put up over 300 yards on the ground they almost had three 100 yard receivers i don't see or rushers excuse me i don't see any reason why bonex can't put up 85 yards on the ground or more and then the two auburn running backs can't get very dangerously close to 100 yards each
1: you look at the last four games for auburn 182 rushing yards against penn state 166 against georgia state 163 against lsu and then 39 this past weekend at home against georgia i wrote down in my notes exactly what you said to answer the question at the start noah yes it is a concern that auburn's run game has been slowly just kind of disappearing if the passing game does not improve, and if Auburn continues to to drop passes, like you mentioned, there fantastic stat from Justin Ferguson about how Bo Nix's adjusted completion percentage, whenever you add in all of the, whenever you take away rather all of the drops, is a 17.5 percent differential as to what his actual completion percentage is. If Auburn was able to even catch half of those, I think you see a way more efficient offense. And like you mentioned, the way that Auburn beat LSU is they made them respect the passing game. This weekend, Arkansas is going to have to respect Auburn's passing game if the Tigers are going to have a chance to actually run the football. Now we'll get into whether or not Auburn will actually be able to run the ball against Arkansas because I think there are some numbers that will reflect that they can. But right now you're looking at, well, teams like Georgia State, who statistically have struggled against the run so far this year were able to load the box and stop them so you think with SEC talent you know you'd be able to kind of shut that down if you wanted to to just kind of load the box and and, 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 and slow that down so, I think there's, there's possibility, and let's go ahead and get into it. I definitely think that Auburn has the ability to run the ball. Statistically, it looks like they will. It's just that Georgia State game is looming in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, everybody knows now. Auburn can't really throw the ball. Will Arkansas elect to just load the box and then just make Auburn beat them through the air? And right now, according to SEC StatCat, Arkansas is first in the SEC in yards allowed per completion at four. Exactly four yards per completion. Best in the SEC. Better than Georgia. So I just my concern right now is whether or not Auburn will be able to move the ball consistently down the field, I, although I do believe that there is the opportunity there for them to establish the run. Noah, what are your thoughts? Well,
2: I want to tackle the Arkansas secondary first, and you have to look at the strength of schedule from a passing standpoint first. They haven't faced the best passing teams in the world, especially when they played some of the teams that they did. You might say, oh, well, Zach Calzada just beat Alabama with the Texas A&M Aggies this past Saturday. But at the time that Arkansas played Texas A&M, Texas A&M had no idea what they were doing on offense or defense. That team was going backwards. That Texas A&M team only scored 10 points on Colorado, who is one of the worst teams in all of Power 5 football. You also look at Texas. They have since had a quarterback change. They moved on the very next week from Hudson Card to Casey Thompson. The Texas passing game. Was not going according to plan and then you also factor in rice and georgia southern two teams that i don't even want to talk about considering they are low tier group of five schools you get into the georgia game georgia didn't have to throw the football why because they were able to dominate arkansas up front in the trenches what stetson bennett had like 11 pass attempts in that game against arkansas maybe i'm over over exaggerating there but still Georgia didn't have to test Arkansas with the passing game. And then you get to the Ole Miss game this past weekend. Once again, another example of Arkansas being so bad at defending the run that Ole Miss didn't even have to attempt to throw the football. Matt Corral, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I harped on this yesterday. Matt Corral, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, only had 21 pass attempts. He had 15 rush attempts. He had more rush attempts than he had total completions in the game against Arkansas on Saturday. So I think you break down the Arkansas schedule here, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I do like some of these Arkansas defensive backs, and I think they're playing better than maybe most people would have given them credit for going into the season when we were evaluating the Razorbacks, and they are led by one of the best safeties in the country. And he is a ball-hawking roaming safety Arkansas knows how to force turnovers but I also don't believe outside of Ole Miss and Ole Miss didn't even really have to throw the football I don't think Arkansas secondary has really been tested yet and if you look in the Ole Miss game they still gave up some big plays I'm looking at and I can't remember if it was Braylon Sanders or Dontario Drummond one of uh, one of Ole Miss's receivers averaged over 68 yards per reception, of course, on two receptions, but he had a touchdown mixed in there. Ole Miss had some big plays in the passing game. Once again, I go back to Arkansas hasn't been tested yet other than that Ole Miss game, and Ole Miss was still able to get theirs through the passing game.
1: I think the question that we have to ask then is, is Auburn going to be the the team to actually test them? Does Auburn have the talent on the outside to actually stray away from this running game and and actually complete some passes downfield? I think the answer is yes if these receivers would actually hold on to the ball. I think if they would actually catch it, I think the answer is yes. Yes. And then also you look at well if Auburn's offense is going to be able to to throw the ball can they open up the rest of it can they actually establish the running game I also think yes Arkansas is 11th in the SEC right now in rushing yards allowed per game like you mentioned Noah no team has really had to, to has really forced the issue in terms of throwing the football but they've attempted to run it and they've had had some success Arkansas is also 10th in the SEC in yards allowed per run at 5.4 In case you're wondering, Auburn's second in the SEC in yards allowed per run at 3.6. So I think Auburn, if they want to, if Tank Bigsby is able to carry the load, which I believe he is, they can establish this running game and force Arkansas to maybe respect their passing game because it'll open up the rest of the offense if Auburn just wants to ground and pound like Ole Miss did last weekend. Ole
2: Miss's top six excuse me, Ole Miss's top three receivers combined for six catches. For 237 yards and two touchdowns, averaging 39 and a half yards per reception. Those were their top three receivers. The most receptions that any one player had for Ole Miss this past weekend was two. They spread the love around. So this was not a situation where I'm blocking out three guys here who had a massive chunk of the targets or a massive chunk of the receptions. No. It was a pretty balanced look here. They had three guys busting big plays up and down the field. It was Braylon Sanders who averaged 63.5 yards per reception on his two big plays. He had a 68-yard reception thrown in there. I believe that was his touchdown. Dontario Drummond was two for 78, and John Rice Plum Plumlee was two for 32. So what Ole Miss was able to do this past weekend against Arkansas, they were able to establish the ground game, 324 yards on the ground, 6.6 yards per attempt five rushing touchdowns they were able to establish the ground game and then they were able to hit him over the top it's just bewildering you look at 14 total completions for Matt Corral for 287 yards two touchdowns 13.7 yards per attempt I don't even know what that is on per completion Arkansas's defense is not as good as we all thought it was after we saw them play Texas and Texas A&M and I've been trying to get that point home and it's only just now I think beginning to rise in people's minds a little bit that maybe they aren't as good as people originally thought but they're still getting a pass considering they've lost to old miss and georgia the past two weeks but i think Based on the numbers that you've just put forward, that I just put forward, this team's not very good at stopping the run. I still have questions about them up front in the front seven on the defensive side of the football, and they do have the ability to give up big plays downfield. Not that I don't think Ole Miss has a great offense. I think they do have a great offense, and this offense may somehow have taken a step forward from what they were last year. But Alabama proved that Ole Miss's offense could be stopped and Louisville to a degree in the second half against Ole Miss proved that it could be slowed down a little bit. I just have a hard time believing that Ole Miss is going to carve up just any SEC defense or a good SEC defense for 52 yards any day of the week. That's just not reality in college football. You two have defensive issues. I don't care who it is. If you give up 52 points, you have defensive issues. If Ole Miss scores 35 on somebody – with a good defense, I'll be like, okay, Ole Miss has a good offense. They scored 35 on a good defense. But if you give up 52 points in a ball game, your defense has problems. I don't care who you were playing. That just shouldn't happen. So I do think there are things that Arkansas does on defense – that Auburn can exploit on the ground game, and then possibly be able to hit downfield. You just got to make sure you avoid turnovers, because over the last two years under Sam Pittman, this Arkansas defense has been very good at creating turnovers, namely Joseph Catalan.
1: And you mentioned the yards per attempt there for Matt Corral. Yards per completion is, I I went went and did the math real quick, it's 20.5 yards per completion. So if Auburn's going to have success This weekend, they may want to try and see if they can stretch the field against this Arkansas defense. This this could be very similar to the way that this the the Gus Malzahn offense has played out in the past, right? You run, 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 play action, or you just take a shot downfield and see if you can get some deep explosive plays going. I think Auburn potentially has a couple of speed guys on the roster that they could hit: Demetrius Robertson, Malcolm Johnson Jr. We've not seen him a whole lot this season. We could potentially see him as somebody Auburn wants to get the ball to if they're just trying to get as many receivers involved as possible. I think this team definitely has the ability to potentially hit a long ball on Arkansas if they choose to do so. It's just whether or not the receiver actually holds on to the football is the question that I continue to ask myself. There's a
2: reason why Auburn has a five-game winning streak over Arkansas and Ole Miss at this point. Mm -hmm. Auburn is built to beat these two football teams, and I don't think that that has changed with this new coaching staff. They still want to run the football. They want to control the clock. They want to win up front five years where we have seen Auburn beat Arkansas and Ole Miss every single year they they have a five-game winning streak against Arkansas and Ole Miss the the last time Auburn lost to these two teams was 2015 they have won every year since then and it's they've all been kind of about the same way when they beat them they beat them by running the football the passing games not a huge emphasis in these matchups because Auburn never really has had to throw the football to beat these two teams because they've been able to win up front in the trenches. And I still believe, even based on what we've seen this year against the tough competition that Auburn has played, you can say that Arkansas and Ole Miss have played tough teams. Auburn's played tough teams too. And I think the offensive line has proven their physicality. I think they've proven that they are an improved offensive line. I think that they have proven that they can win in the trenches against these two teams. I don't expect that to change over the next three weeks when Auburn plays Arkansas and Ole Miss. Auburn has proven over the last five seasons that they have built their program in a way that they are better than Ole Miss and Arkansas up front. The question is, has Arkansas and Ole Miss closed that gap that Auburn has created over the last five years? Has has those two teams closed that gap with Auburn up front? And I don't know if that's been shown to us yet. And based on the fact that 103 points were scored between these two teams last Saturday... I really don't think that they have. They've improved a little bit, but I don't think that they've improved enough to beat Auburn where it matters, which is up front. I still think Auburn's better there, and they'll show that on Saturday when they play Arkansas on Fable.
1: On the other side of this break, we're going to go ahead and get into our SEC midseason report card for every single SEC team. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Intern Belichick behind the controls here in the studio today. Wanna to go ahead and get into our SEC midseason report card. We'll be talking about this on and off throughout the rest of the show, giving a grade for each team in the SEC after the first six weeks of the season. Some disappointments, some surprises going to be a lot of fun let's go ahead and get into it Noah do you think starting at the top of the SEC West is a fair place to start or do you want to start at the bottom we can go in alphabetical order for the SEC West that's how I've taken a look at it all right well let's start at the top then with Alabama what is your grade for the Alabama Crimson Tide six games into the season
2: I'm going to go with a B plus you have to commend this team for winning how many Top 25 games they've won this year, but you also have to dock them for the fact that they did just lose to an unranked team. They haven't looked great in some of their games this year. There's been a little bit of inconsistency there for Alabama. I was speaking with Jeremy Law a little bit earlier today, and he'll be joining us in our next segment. I was telling him that it feels like there is a heightened level of inconsistency with this Alabama team than most years even years where they haven't won the national championship so I am kind of a little bit more down on this Alabama team now that they finally have lost but with that being said and this is an interesting discussion for later you know if you have an easy time getting grades in school right and you don't have to work that hard you don't have to study for the test and you go in there and you're making 91s and you're you're getting your a's that's just because you're barely scraping by getting the a that's not going to encourage you to work any harder you're like i don't have to work hard right but what happens when you finally fail the test what happens when you finally you know fall off the deep end and maybe you get a grade that's much much lower than you're accustomed to maybe you're typically a straight a student and you get that c and it kind of rocks you to your core a little bit And you're like oh i've got to step up my game a little bit so the way that i have viewed this alabama season is that each week they've just been kind of posting up 91s on test and that hasn't really encouraged them oh they won by two in gainesville even alabama with nick saban was saying hey commend yourselves you went on the road in a very tough environment and won you should be proud of yourself rather than feeling like it's a loss right but what we've seen is it didn't really translate to Alabama kicking it into gear which is why we have finally seen them lose a football game they never really stepped it up and now I wonder does this Alabama team reach another level do they finally kick it into gear now that they've lost or does the inconsistency remain a theme for the rest of the season
1: as an Auburn fan I hope yes uh I actually had the exact same grade as you I had them graded as a b plus as well look they they've obviously won games up until this past weekend against Texas A&M but the way that they've done it has not been in total domination in as other Alabama teams in the past, obviously they beat Miami and they and Ole Miss. They beat them pretty well, but you look at those indip- individual performances so far this season, you start to look at some inconsistencies, like you mentioned, Noah, along the offensive line. At receiver the defense has not been incredibly consistent the secondary has had a couple of different issues so I think that's a question that I have as well as whether or not those inconsistencies are going to remain now we've not seen that with Alabama teams in the past we've seen them kind of group together and kind of get their stuff together and, and, and play more complete football as the season goes on eventually leading to either a playoff berth, berth or a national title I think this team is capable of that they're just incredibly young, and I think that's where why all of the consistencies they're they're having right now are are arising to the to the degree that they are. But B plus, I think that's okay. I think they can definitely recoup. ESPN's FBI still thinks they have the best chance to win the SEC West at this point, point, seventy six percent chance to win it. I think it could be potentially a little bit higher than that. I simply think that they're just a lot more talented than everybody else. And at the end of the day, I do think they'll be able to get things together. Let's move on to Arkansas here. What is your grade for the Arkansas Razorbacks? We've got an A- minus
2: for Arkansas only because I think this team has exceeded expectations across college football and maybe even inside their own program, maybe even inside their own fan base. We knew this Arkansas team would be improved. You and I in the preseason we were when we were giving our – Preseason, our official preseason predictions and and final standings in the SEC. You and I both had Arkansas a little bit higher than maybe most people would have, and we—I had them higher than Texas A&M, which at this point has proven to be a good prediction. But we'll see how A&M builds off of what they did this past weekend against Alabama and how Arkansas responds to what has happened to them over the last two weeks. I've got them docked down to an A- minus from what – if they had beaten Ole Miss, I would have had this team at an A+, plus. considering their only loss would have been to Georgia, and they would have passed all of the major – not just passed, they would have passed with flying colors. They would have well exceeded all of the challenges that have been put forward to them, but now that they've gotten into the thick of SEC play – against some good football teams not teams that are struggling they have started to lose and in the case of the georgia game get manhandled i've got them as an a minus because they've exceeded expectations but by the end of the season this may come down as i think they are going to lose to auburn this weekend and there are some losses still left on that schedule i'm thinking our arkansas is an eight and four team possibly by the end of the season
1: That's exactly what I was going to say in my assessment is while they have overachieved so far the season, obviously big wins over Texas, Texas A&M, they, I think also, much like Alabama, have some very obvious flaws on the field. And so you look at the rest of this SEC slate, I think they potentially could lose to Auburn to Alabama. And like you said, I think this is an eight, eight and four type of year for Arkansas. Are they more talented than they have been in the past? Yes, absolutely. Are they on the right track? Yes, Absolutely it's they they have overachieved they have exceeded expectations and so I think a minus is a fair assessment I agree with you I had that ranking as well it's just I don't know like you mentioned if that's going to be the same grade that we have for the Arkansas Razorbacks at the end of the season but still fantastic job by Sam Pittman I think right now I think he's SEC coach of the year he's done a fantastic job with this Arkansas program and KJ Jefferson's got three years left I think they've got a lot out ahead in front of them and I know that we're looking. I'm looking right now way far down the line in the future. I'm not just talking about this season, but this season as well. I think they've played phenomenal football as opposed to what they've done in years past. Let's go ahead and get to Auburn. Noah, what ranking do you have, or what grade, rather, do you have for Auburn? I would give Auburn a B-plus
2: at this point, and I I know we don't have a whole lot of time left in this segment, so I'd love to come back and talk about Auburn in a little bit more detail maybe at the end of the hour after we've got Jeremy on with us. But I've got Auburn at a B-plus. I am impressed with what this coaching staff has done with some major lapses in talent at key position areas. Of course, you've had three major tests here, and – I thought they rose to the challenge on the road against Penn State. They weren't able to win it. Maybe those were some key coaching errors in that ball game, but they bounced back and rectified that against LSU on the road. And then nobody's beaten Georgia at this point. And I was impressed with how Auburn played this weekend. I thought they stood to the challenge. I thought that they tried to match Georgia's physicality. They played hard in the trenches. I'm impressed with Auburn at this point, but a B-plus tells you that there's still work to be done. And this could go south in a hurry. Auburn has to respond against Arkansas this weekend because if they don't it does just that it goes south in a hurry
1: I got them at a B and we'll talk about this more like you said before the uh, before the end of the hour I've got them at a B because while I do appreciate performances against LSU and Penn State even though that Penn State game was a loss I also look at the game surrounding it. And it's like well LSU right now on my mind is a five and seven four and eight team whoop-de-doo you beat them I know it's the first time since 1999 but that's not a incredibly talented LSU team that you went and beat You beat Akron, you beat Alabama State, you barely beat Georgia State. I'm impressed with the way that you played against Penn State, and I think there's room to improve moving forward. I think Auburn's going to win games moving forward. I think they'll win this weekend, but there is a lot of room for improvement. On the other side of this break, we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports to talk with us about the Alabama-Texas A&M game. Back on On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, talk about whether or not Auburn's running game can succeed this weekend, want to talk about some grades you would give to some SEC teams this year so far, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. And we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on with us to talk a little little bit about that uh, Alabama-Texas A&M game. Jeremy, how you feeling after that loss? I've had a rough
3: couple of days, guys. I can imagine. You know, Saturday. You took off work yesterday. Sunday, the Rays lost. Mm. The Rays went down yesterday. My 100-win Tampa Bay Rays lose to the Red Sox, a team that they're far superior than all regular season. It's just been a rough couple days. And I told my friends yesterday, I was like, hey, guys, if the Rays lose tonight, call and check on me. Just call and check on me. And uh, unfortunately, they did it to me. So it's been a rough couple days. What do you want to know about alabama texas AM? and You ask me anything, I probably have an opinion on it.
1: Well, first of all, I do want to say genuinely, not sarcastically, that I do apologize for for both the for for and m and the Rays' loss. I can definitely feel you there. I, I'm not a big fan of the Red Sox uh, whatsoever. I want to just talk about, you know, where does this Alabama team go from here, from here to start? Where do they go from here after having what was just a – it felt like just a – a body blow from Texas A&M early. They tried to recoup. They tried to come back, and they did. It's just A&M was able to sustain it. Where does Alabama go from here to improve and to not have this happen again?
3: You know, if if Mama Gardner or or Miss Dahl had a recipe book, don't
2: be bringing mamas into. This. No, I'm saying if, the, if your moms had a recipe book, out.
3: and it was it was uh this recipe on page seven was how to lose a game on the road in the SEC. Everything Alabama did in that game would be you know. Uh, at numbers one through seven on the recipe list. Alabama did everything wrong. Blew two coverages that ended up in 14 points. Outside of those probably played pretty well defensively. Turnovers on their first two possessions. Got inside of the, inside of the, I think they had inside the red zone six times, came up with 23 points. You come up with a massive special teams play only for your kicker, who is the best kicker in Tuscaloosa in the last 20 years. Um, he just doesn't get it out of the end zone like he's supposed to. It was clearly called to get out of the back of the end zone. Half the special teams guys were trotting down the field. I mean, you did everything that you could do to lose. The good news is everything's still in front of you. And I'm not an excuse guy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you like I see it. Uh, I don't know what Bill O'Brien is thinking. Brian Robinson for the last two weeks has been the best running back in the SEC behind an average offensive line at that. And, you, and you're running the ball at will, but you get inside the 20 and you stop, you have first and goal at the four twice, and you come up with a grand total of three points in those situations because you won't run the football? I mean, guys, Brian Robinson's getting six yards of carry, and they stop giving him the ball. If Gus Malzahn is the OC in, inside of the 20, Alabama blows this game wide open because he will not throw it. So I don't know what Bill O'Brien's thinking. Doug Marone so far has been an absolute joke. As an offensive line coach, Chris Owens is a fifth-year guy in Tuscaloosa, and I know he's never played tackle. I get it. He doesn't play a lot of tackle, but he doesn't know who to block. You can't tell me that if, if, if J.C. Latham or Tommy Brockermeyer are not better than Chris Owens is right now, then they are two five-star busts on the Alabama roster because there is no way that they are worse than Chris Owens. At right? I, I, are y'all seeing what I'm seeing? It's just like they, for the first half, he didn't touch anybody. Nobody. John Mechie, I could go on and on, guys. He drops the ball while calling for a holding penalty on a crucial third down. Needs to catch the ball, instead he's crying to the referees about a hold and comes out of his break. Doesn't, I
2: mean, drops it. I have an interesting stat I, I for just, you, Jeremy, about the receivers. To I'm having
3: a tough time today, boys.
2: This is going to add to it. <laughs> we earlier talked about Bo Nix's adjusted completion percentage and how big of a jump it would be from his regular completion percentage. Justin Ferguson, at AU, posted this to his Twitter account. You can go and check it out there. It's a table of all of the SEC quarterbacks and their adjusted completion percentages. Bo Nix has the biggest change amongst all mm. SEC quarterbacks in his adjusted completion percentage. Guess who's third? Bryce Young. Bryce Young. Can uh, you believe what that? what
3: would his adjusted QB uh, percentage be? His, his he would go percentage. from
2: a sixty-eight point three percent completion percentage to eighty point nine. It would be a th- almost a thirteen percent difference. But just catch just catch the easy ones, Cameron Latu. Don't don't catch the
3: hard one. Catch the easy one where Bryce makes a perfect RPO read, hits you in between the eight and the one, on your six foot six, two hundred and forty five pound frame. And you can't catch the ball? There's a lot that happened in this game, guys. I thought it really started with Bill O'Brien's incompetency in this game. He've, uh, he's been pretty good this year. I'll give him that. But mm-hmm. you could easily make the case Alabama should be 4-2. and two. They're a two-point conversion at Florida away from losing that game because we all know they weren't going to win that game if it went to overtime. They weren't. And then they come out, get themselves in, what, a 14 nothing hole. Defense calls their way back in the second half, gave up 16 total yards. From halftime to the five-minute mark of the fourth quarter, poor Pete Golding has never gotten a pivotal stop. Every one possession game, I feel like there he had to get a stop. He's never done it. He didn't get it at Florida. He got the two-point conversion stop on a horrible zone replay called by Dan Mullen. LSU 2019, he needed one stop in the second half. Didn't get it. This guy couldn't stop Bo Nix, true freshman in 2019. Last year, the offense was so good. Pete Golding's job, he had the easiest defensive coordinator job in football. Our offense with just five possessions, five touchdowns. And then he comes in here, needs one second, one pivotal stop in the fourth quarter to put the game away. And he just couldn't do it against uh, a really what I would consider almost a scout team offense for Texas a and They got three freshmen on the offensive line. Zach Calzada is completing like 30% of his passes coming into the game. All you got to do is cover Widermeyer, who has torched Alabama for the last decade. And Pete Colden can't find a way to do it. I don't know, guys. I don't know. What did you guys see? Because I thought Bill Bill O'Brien
1: single-handedly lost the game and Nick Saban stood on the sideline and watched him do it. I saw an Alabama team, and and I I think Noah disagrees with me on this, and I want to get your thoughts. I saw an Alabama team that lost in a way that they have traditionally lost in the SEC under Nick Saban. I mean, it was was where opponents got out to an early lead. They kind of stunned them. Alabama tried to claw their way back in, and there were just a bunch of different little miscues and factors that just kind of held them back from getting in. You mentioned the play calling, the drops, just the inconsistencies on the offensive line. I agree with you. I saw a lot of that on Saturday, and this is coming from a team that is expected to still get to the college football playoff, and I expect them to have a very good opportunity to do so. But coming off of this loss as a fan, Jeremy, I can understand just the frustrations of, like, you know, why is why is Alabama struggling to do the little things right the way that they are? They are? Because as an Auburn fan, I can definitely relate to the drops. What is so
2: interesting about this Alabama team and why I disagree a little bit with what you guys are saying about how it's the same way they've lost in the past. It's only happened to those Alabama teams one time. They only did that one time in those seasons. They didn't have those issues rear their head again at least as much and as dramatic as we're seeing with this Alabama team, at least I don't believe so. I think we're seeing jarring levels of inconsistency with this Alabama team, a swinging of the pendulum, if you will, between performances against Florida and A&M. They
3: lost to Ole Miss in 2015. you got to remember, Tennessee almost beat him at home. Alabama had to sack uh, uh, the guy with no eyebrows, Dobbs. Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs. Sorry, that's the only way. Ouch. I was just saying, he didn't have any eyebrows. That's the only way I can remember. They had to sack him. A'shaun Robinson recovers a fumble to win that game. You're like well, They've played close games, and I think Lance is right. Uh, that is how Alabama's lost games, not against Auburn in the SEC for the last decade. I mean, they all Miss 2015—Ole Miss 2014, they did the same thing on the road. A couple turnovers, fourth down misses, a couple boneheaded play Would calls Would you not agree, Kiffin?
2: though, that there's a heightened level of well, inconsistency with this team that makes this Alabama team seem to be a little bit more vulnerable? Because you and I were talking off-air earlier— you're trying to figure out how to beat Mississippi State nah, this weekend.
3: I, I, was a little, I was a little pessimistic <laughs> at lunch. But, no, I, I think that the offensive line is a problem, and it's, it's really just one guy. And I think you will see a personnel change pretty quickly because there's no way you can continue to let Chris Owens play over there. I just think you have guys that you got to at least try at this point, right? Is it going to hurt? Um, the, the cute handoff for Brian Robinson. Why not put Robbie Oots in front of him, your H-bag, and let him run through the hole as opposed to JoJo Earl being your H-bag Brian, i mean you're a halfback brian robinson being your fullback and you want to do it all the way around twist on a quick handoff and bryce young hit him in the neck with it it's just those little things to me is what frustrates now everything's still in front of alabama you went out you're in the sec title game and for the regular season purposes and you win that when you're in the college football playoff but to me it's just like you're asking yourself i don't every alabama fan is asking themselves and mark ingram tweeted it why didn't nick saban let bill O'Brien? throw it three times from the four that doesn't make any sense i know one of them was a touchdown it should have been caught you can't tell me that brian robinson's not going at least four carries a yard average inside of the four it's not going to happen but lance is right that is how alabama has lost games that aren't against auburn um for the last decade in the sec he's 100 percent correct which is why a lot of alabama fans still have hope to me it was an unranked team second team quarterback two freshman offensive linemen both of their corners were out that's why I'm scared because John Metchie can't get open against a true freshman playing corner for Texas A&M the guy's been been in Tuscaloosa for four years
1: and I think that's that's what worries me I think that's a that's to to Noah's point though and his question of you know we've not seen it happen in the past with Alabama where that where the issues come out again and so my question to you is do you think that they will happen again and if they do to which team
3: Right, that's gonna happen against auburn and jordan Hare. i'll go ahead and tell you <laughs> this, this team can't play on the road they can't uh, listen i don't know how they got out to a 21 nothing lead on florida but they did thank god or, and they scored 10 points for the final 45 minutes of the game um I, they, they can happen again if you don't change the way you're doing stuff and noah's telling me earlier like i think nick saban wanted to lose no i don't think nick saban wanted to lose I also think Nick Saban's a big-picture guy. I don't think Nick Saban cares about the 100 wins versus unranked teams. I just think that's part of the process. Like You don't, you can't win championships if you lose to unranked teams often. Well, a and not going to finish the year unranked. I think it's going to help Alabama when the college football playoff poll comes out. Nick Saban, I don't think he cares about the assistant coaches thing. I think if he was going to lose to an assistant, he probably would have picked Jimbo Fisher, probably the one that he has the most respect for of all the guys that have coached for, maybe outside of Derek Dooley, who— could never beat Nick Saban in his right mind. Anyways, I don't think Nick Saban cares about any of that. I think Nick Saban's trying to figure out why Saturday happened. And there's a, there's too many variables for me to say, okay, they can go fix this because this team has a lot of problems.
2: Also, think Nick Saban has reached a point in his career now where it's just not worth it losing your mind over the fact that well, you just lost to Texas AM. You I know, sat like there. there's bigger things, there's bigger fish to fry. And you and I were talking at lunch, and I know I said – I kind of jokingly say Nick Saban wanted to lose to AM. This could be the right thing for AM. and And I used the test analogy that I used with you at lunch. I said that earlier on the show. This is the C. This is the F that you just got on a test when you've been cruising along thinking that you didn't have to work harder. Now the reckoning has occurred. The question is how do you respond? And Nick Saban teams have traditionally responded really well to those grades.
3: Well, and you know – Nick Saban got thrown under the bus a few years ago when he said, "You know, sometimes losing is better than a close win." And I can't remember who he said it against. It, it may have been uh, Ole Miss 2015, and he and he's probably right. The team needed a wake up call. But it's some we thought that that was Florida. Well, okay, all right. Well, wait, wait, there's there's your wake up call. Well, clearly wasn't because they come out flat, cold defense wasn't ready. Now I give Pete Golding. I think that it. You saw that – I think you saw he's a good coordinator because of the second-half adjustments. a and couldn't move the ball. They came out and made the adjustments. The offense couldn't get out of its own way. So I just think O-line, you don't have a reliable receiver. You have one reliable receiver, which means you don't have any because you don't have a complement. Um, some of the young guys are going to have to play at receiver. When Billingsley and Mechie combine for four drops in a game, especially on big second – like second and sevens, second and tens, that's going to kill you and two turnovers to start the game on the road. That's a recipe for disaster, and it turned out. And Alabama had a 38-31 lead, and I don't know how time flies like that, but it feels like A&M scored 10 points in about 10 seconds, and the game was over, and they're kicking a game-winning field goal. But everything's still right in front. Um, I'm just not, I just not—I just don't have a lot of confidence in this team. Faith in Nick Saban, I just think that there, are one, there could be one too many problems for this team to um, be uh, – a team that lists a trophy at the end of the year. Still a contender. There's a lot of contenders out there. There's probably 15 teams that could still probably make the college football playoff if things go well for them. I just don't think Alabama's got the horses right now to even come
1: close to a Georgia. Final question here to you. We are giving our SEC midseason report cards out on today's show. We've already done Alabama, but I wanted to get your thoughts. What would be your midseason report card grade for the Alabama Crimson Tide? I would
3: give them a B minus. This team still has two top 15 wins. They beat a team last. Listen, last week everybody thought Alabama was unbeatable. Go, they're up 35 nothing on Ole Miss. Everything feels good, but they haven't played a full game still. They are really close to being four and two. They didn't execute against Mercer. They didn't really play that well in the second half versus Miami. Um, you know, I'd give them a, a B and. It's about the flaws. It's about the O line. It's about receivers who continue to drop passes, not get open. Um, and you know, it, you know, Bryce Young only got sacked four times. It felt like the 07 Iron Bowl or the 05 Iron Bowl, where bro, sack if you haunt Brody. That's what it felt. I still like. see those bumpers. But that's what it felt like in the first half. I could have sworn Bryce got sacked ten times in the first half of that game Saturday. That's a problem, and something's got to be done about it. I'm not. I'm not saying pull a fire coach Williams like Brian Harson did. But Nick Saban's going to have to step in and do something about Alabama's problem on the right side of the offensive line or, uh, or this, it, the, the shit
1: will not be righted. Jeremy, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and speak with us. I really hope that Alabama's uh, able to bounce back this Saturday for your sake. Yeah, the, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. For the first time in my life, I actually feel sorry for, for Alabama, and I do hope, for Jeremy's sake, that they are able to uh, to uh, right the ship this weekend against Mississippi State. Well, let's wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports coming on to talk about the Alabama AM game. Really appreciate him pouring his heart out to us over the loss. Hopefully, Alabama is able to recoup and improve. We're going to head to the phone lines now. 334 321 1390 is the number to dial. And Spector is on the line with us. Hey, Spectre. Hey, I just want to say this and I'll be out of your hair. Do not panic. Nick Saban has lost a game before.
2: I would hate to be the team to play. Nick Saban after he has lost.
1: Mhm. Yeah. So, and there's a reason yeah. that that line is uh is at 17 and growing right now against Mississippi State this weekend.
2: Absolutely. So don't you guys don't have to worry about Nick. He'll be okay.
1: Yeah, and that's what we were talking about earlier, and I think that's the question we're asking ourselves right now is whether or not this Alabama team's different from what has happened in the past, like you just mentioned. It's like, well, when Saban loses, he definitely rebounds, and he rebounds in a big way. It's just it'll be interesting to see how he does it with this team. It's incredibly young.
0: Yeah, well,
3: they're going to grow up a lot in a week.
1: I agree. I agree. Appreciate it, Specter. All right. See you, guys. That was Specter on the line with us 334-321-1390 is the number to dial Noah to wrap up our number one of the show here let's get back to what we were talking about earlier our SEC midseason report card we were grading Auburn you have them graded as a B plus I believe I have them graded as a B continue to elaborate on why you have Auburn graded as a B plus
2: I'm impressed with Auburn at this point I can't get them to an A. I reserved A's for teams that I felt like either exceeded their expectations or they fulfilled all of their expectations, right? Like in Georgia's case, we'll get to Georgia later on in the show. I gave them an A+. What else can that team do? They can't do anything else other than just beat teams 56-0, to which at this point, I mean, that – you know, I, that, that's only a little bit different than what they are doing. They did beat Arkansas 37-0, to zero, you know. So, like, I mean, sure, maybe they could be a little bit more dominant, but that's what I'm trying to get at. So, with Auburn, I'm saying I'm impressed with this team. And if you looked around at preseason predictions for Auburn, Auburn has exceeded and put themselves in a position to far exceed preseason predictions for this Auburn football team for pretty much everyone out there but myself who said that Auburn was going to go eight and four at least or upwards of nine and three possibly even flirt with 10 wins which I definitely think is still very much so on the table for this Auburn football team if they're able to beat Arkansas this weekend on the road in Fable, If they beat Arkansas on the road in Fable, what I said earlier about this Auburn team still being better than Arkansas and Ole Miss in the trenches, that'll hold true. Auburn will beat Ole Miss at home in three weeks, and then they're not losing again, guys, until that Alabama game where that game I do think, and based on our conversation with Jeremy Law, I think a lot of people would agree with this, Auburn and Alabama fans alike. If Auburn's 9-2 going into that Iron Bowl in Jordan-Hare Stadium, buckle up. It's going to be a great football game. So there's still so much in front of this Auburn team that my perspective on it is that this coaching staff has helped this team perform and put them in good positions to succeed, even with major lapses of talent at key position areas, namely wide receiver. I'm impressed with
1: what they've done, and I'm looking forward to see what they do in the second half of the season. Two things. If Auburn can catch the football and get after Bryce Young in that game. If Auburn's up undefeated up until that point, like you mentioned, it's going to be a fun, fun matchup. Like we mentioned with Arkansas, saying that we don't know necessarily if this A- minus is going to stay the same at the end of the season, the grade that we gave them. I don't know if the B grade is going to be lower than where where, where I have them right now for Auburn. I think there's definitely a, a lot of improvement uh, potential for, for Auburn, and I think we could see them rise potentially to a B-plus or an A before the end of the season. It's absolutely on the table. There's so much talent on this team. They have everything out in front of them. They just need to improve in a couple different areas. And they can go out and beat the teams that they've beat, like you mentioned, Noah, uh, for the past four or five seasons. Arkansas, Ole Miss, they'll beat A&M because A&M still, I don't believe, has a whole lot of offense. That's going to do it for our number one of the show. On the other side of this break, we've got our weekly making headline segment. Stick with us.
0: the line. 502.
1: Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Again, really appreciate Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports taking a moment to stop by talk about the Alabama A&M game, talk about what Alabama needs to do to improve moving forward. We're going to start off hour number two here with our Daily Making Headlines segment got some interesting headlines for you guys here Stefan Castle one of Auburn's top 2023 basketball targets has this to say about what Bruce Pearl has done with the basketball program this is a quote taken from Christian Clemente on Twitter quote the atmosphere was way different than I expected knowing how big of a basketball school they are I didn't expect the football games to be like that too that was Stefan Castle talking about his experience over the weekend at the Uh, at the Auburn Georgia game Noah are you surprised that one of Auburn's basketball recruits is already talking about how massive of a basketball program Auburn Auburn is
2: I think it's funny of course and where is this recruit from do we know can you look that up real quick for me because I don't I don't know exactly where he hails from but I think that's funny especially if he's in the southeast that he didn't know that Auburn's football games are like that because Auburn has a great football reputation and has a great atmosphere regarding their stadium, has a great stadium atmosphere. That reputation is is solid throughout the Southeast and throughout the rest of the country, So, or, or really I would say solid around the, the Southeast. Maybe some folks outside of the Southeast that don't follow college football as closely, maybe they wouldn't know how intense it is at an Auburn football game or at an SEC game or at, at any SEC school but that that's kind of the, the take that aside what's really at the meat of the quote to me that speaks to how how Bruce Pearl has built this program is that he is talking about that he respects Auburn as a basketball school that he respects their program that he knows that Auburn's fan base that Auburn invest a lot into its basketball program and that they deeply care about their football program and one thing can be said i think is if you can see what type of environment auburn had in the deep south oldest rivalry this past weekend and then translate to what that's like in an even more condensed not as many people but a lot tighter a lot closer packed environment and for what some of these recruits have seen on television you can see how crazy it is inside Auburn Arena and some recruits that's a major selling point for them to get on campus and I think Saturday was a big day not only for Auburn football recruiting but it was a big day for Auburn basketball recruiting as well for guys like this individual and also Jairus Walker.
1: uh, Intern Belichick got the uh, the answer for us he's from Covington Georgia so the fact that he was he was speaking such high praise about Bruce Pearl's basketball program is entertaining and impressive to me. Let's go back to the phone lines now 334-321-1390. And June is on the line with us. What's on your mind, June?
3: What's going on, fellas?
1: Oh, uh, not a whole lot. What's up?
0: I just want to talk about the quarterbacks, man.
1: We go can't for
2: deny it. Both are more mobile quarterbacks. But TJ has a better pocket presence. I really wish we could combine the both. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? <laughs> but I, I don't yep. know if I fully agree with you that TJ Finley's got a better pocket presence. I think Bo's coming a long ways in that in that area of his play as well on a week-to-week basis. We're starting to see him sit more in the pocket and deliver some really catchable balls. I don't have any issues with what he did this past weekend against Georgia.
1: Yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't his fault. I know a lot of fans want to say it was, but he had seven drops. I actually counted nine drops, honestly. I don't – know where we got seven from but you know
2: if it hits a receiver in the hands i'm with you catch it and i'll say this how about we combine tj finley's height and weight with bo nix's athleticism and pocket presence and let's create let's create another superstar quarterback at auburn i I like i like the direction you were going there
0: (laughs) oh yeah most definitely most definitely
2: june appreciate it my man thanks for the call Thank you, guys. I have
1: a good day, man. You too. That was June on the line with us, 334-321-1390, the number to dial. If you want to call in and give us your thoughts on what would be the best combination of attributes to make the best Auburn quarterback from the Auburn quarterbacks on roster, give us a call. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, I agree with what you said there. No, let's create Cam again. Let's just get Bo Nix's athleticism, and let's get T.J. Finley's height and weight, and let's combine them together, let's just have Cam again.
2: Demetrius Davis's wheels is – Ability to create plays with his legs as well, from what we've heard. Let's put it all together. Let's
1: do it. Let's create a cyborg. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Would love that. And again, yeah, talking about Stefan Castle and that, that quote he had, just talking about how big of a basketball school Auburn is. I think Auburn has been put on the national map officially. And uh, I just yesterday actually got a couple of preview magazines for, for college basketball. And Lindy Sports has Auburn ranked at number 10. Not preseason, but they believe Auburn will be the best, 10th best team in the nation heading in to March Madness, and they believe that Auburn will win the SEC. Really exciting stuff they're going to get to see in 24 days what this college basketball team looks like for Auburn. Paul Feinbaum on yesterday's uh, Feinbaum show said that Ed Ogeron staying at LSU is virtually impossible, and then he cited LSU's remaining schedule, said that five of the six teams left on LSU's schedule are currently ranked. He said they might get a win against ULM, but other than that, he doesn't really see a whole lot else there, and he thinks that Ogeron will not survive the season. Noah, what are your thoughts? LSU's
2: schedule is really tough, and Paul Feinbaum is not the only person in the media to suggest that Ed Orgeron, or just come right out and say it, is not going to make it to the end of the season or that he won't make it to next year because the lsu schedule is absolutely brutal from here out and you can keep check marking losses up and down this including this weekend they're hosting florida 11 a.m kickoff this saturday i believe it's on espn I think that one's going to be a loss for LSU, especially considering Florida lost this one last year in a pretty awkward way for Florida to lose it. They probably have this one circled. It's a rivalry game. It's probably already circled every year. This is one that Florida's trying to regain some momentum after losing to Kentucky a couple weeks ago. Florida knows they can't suffer another loss. I think Florida goes out there, handles their business. It may not be complete, utter domination because I know Florida's still trying to figure out some things in their passing game, but for all intents and purposes, they should be able to go into Death Valley and handle business at 11 a.m. before Death Valley can really get rocking. This isn't a 2.30. This isn't a 6 p.m. This isn't an 8 p.m. kick in Death Valley. It shouldn't be too scary for Florida on the road. After that, LSU has to go on the road to Oxford to play Ole Miss. That Ole Miss game is Auburn's bye week. Ole Miss this week playing Tennessee. If Ole Miss beats Tennessee, this Ole Miss team should be flirting with the top 10. And Ole Miss, honestly, with what we've seen out of this LSU defense up to this point, and the fact that Kentucky was able to put up 42 points, which I'm, once again, I'm super happy for Kentucky, but Kentucky hadn't shown that offensive ability yet this season. The fact that Kentucky did that to that defense, you can begin to see the cracks there. Ole Miss should be able to put up in the high 40s, maybe even touch 50, especially considering they did that to Arkansas this past weekend. So I think that's another loss for LSU. There's two more right there. At that point, they're 3-5, and and then they have to play Alabama and Arkansas right after that. They very well could lose their next four games They'll get a slight repli- uh, slight reprieve against Louisiana Monroe, but at that point, maybe even put that one on upset alert for LSU. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but say LSU beats Louisiana Monroe, they're at four wins at that point. Do they beat Texas A&M at home? Well, A&M has never beaten LSU in Death Valley, but that streak didn't matter to Auburn, and A&M very well could do it to them this year and break that streak also, so... I could see LSU feasibly losing all five of their last five SEC games and this team going four and eight. I don't think Ed Orgeron
1: makes it either. Yeah, I agree. And there are just so many different things that are going wrong for LSU at this point. And also, you're talking about this Florida game this weekend. Florida currently has the best rushing attack in the SEC statistically. And you saw what Kentucky did on the ground. This past weekend ran for 329 yards. You think that Kentucky's rushing offense is good. Florida is going to run all over LSU this weekend if they want to, and I just don't see LSU stopping it. Another LSU-related headline here, Kayshawn Boutte is officially out for the season with an injury. Just another reason, Just another nail in the coffin for this LSU program at this point. Well,
2: we've talked a little bit today about Justin Ferguson's tweet that he had earlier putting up a table of, sec quarterbacks and their adjusted completion percentage changes and lsu is another shocking statistic for me here max johnson has completed 61.2 percent of his passes this year he would have the fourth highest jump in completion percentage if you were to account for those drops at 12.3 percent he and bo nix kind of in that same tier with bryce young that top three, top four there, their receivers aren't helping them out a whole lot. And Kayshaun Boutte has been the real only consistent player on that LSU offense. And now he's gone. Like you said, another nail in the coffin potentially for this team, but they don't have a running game. The passing game already struggled to score enough points because opposing teams were able to key in on it. I don't know how this LSU team, A, is going to stop teams and B – is going to even be able to find enough points to be able to keep up with teams. We've had so many callers. I know Terry said this back over the summer that Ed Orgeron, or maybe even after that UCLA game, that Ed Orgeron was a lot like Gene Chiswick in his trajectory. Look, this is the 4-8 and eight season. This is what Auburn did back in 2012 when they went 3-9. and nine. And I don't know if Ed O has lost the locker room or not because we don't cover LSU football on a day-to-day basis, but the way that they played against Kentucky... They did not look like they were locked in. I saw Cavosier smoke going blow up at LSU linebacker on a block at the second level. Like, that should never happen, ever. And Cavosier smoke is a scat back. Like, that should not happen. And it did. And right now, the way that LSU is getting moved around, I think it's fair to ask where is this LSU team's head at? Where's this LSU team's effort at on the football field on Saturdays? because of the the performances that we're seeing is not indicative of a team that has a whole lot of confidence right now.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And again, I just fear for how they're going to be able to stop people moving down the line in the run, in the run department or in their pass defense. Speaking of passing the football, the Baltimore Ravens were down 22-3 to to the Indianapolis Colts in Monday Night Football yesterday, but they found a way to win in overtime, 31-25, to and Lamar Jackson – became the first player in NFL history to throw for over 400 yards and complete 85% of his passes.
2: Sickening. I'm happy for Lamar Jackson. I really am, but I'm a Browns fan, and the Ravens winning does not help me. And the Ravens have won some games that I think they should have lost at this point, so it does not help my Cleveland Browns, who also became the first team in NFL history to lose a football game after scoring more than 40 points and having over 500 yards of total offense. So... Good for everybody breaking records. Browns still Browning, and Lamar Jackson still also good for him, continuing to shock
1: all the doubters out there and prove folks wrong when they evaluated him as a quarterback. Brown's taking a page out of Ole Miss's uh, defense right now fantastic and also for Lamar Jackson I think it's great for him you know all, all the doubters out there whether or not he's actually able to throw the football you know the joke is like whenever he does have a performance like this is like oh well, this is pretty solid for a running back like yeah well this dude is a legitimate quarterback and you mentioned this on yesterday's show Noah talking about what defines a true dual threat just because they can run doesn't mean that they can throw the football can they truly become a dual threat and throw the football as well and you're seeing Lamar Jackson do that at the highest level of the game. He is out there throwing the ball efficiently. He's running efficiently. He's a fantastic athlete. It'd just be nice to see him pick it up in postseason play. Final headline here before we get to break. The Atlanta Braves currently up 2-1 to on the Milwaukee Brewers. They play tonight at 4.15 p.m. on TBS.
2: And there's also recent news that I just saw on ESPN.com that Jorge Soler tested positive for the coronavirus ahead of Game 4. This is a big one. The Braves need to put it away. Has this Braves team learned from last season against the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NLCS? Has this Braves team learned from the history of Braves baseball? Is this Braves team different? Of course, they were disappointing throughout the regular season, But they have one of the best teams in the NL all season long. They've got them on the ropes. The Brewers led from start to finish just about in the NL Central. You've got this team on the ropes. Don't let this thing go to game five because, honestly, the winner of this game right here, they're going to win the series. You plant the seeds of doubt in the Braves, and then you gain all the momentum if you're the Brewers and you win this game. But if you're the Braves and you win, of course, you just won the series and you're moving on to the NLCS, and you should honestly be feing, feeling really good about yourselves because you bounced back from a game-one loss. You won three straight against a really good baseball team. You've had all-around solid pitching, even when your bats haven't been fully alive at every game this series. That's That should produce some confidence in the Braves. They're going to have to get the hitting improved going into playing either the Giants or the Dodgers, but just handle business right now. Don't let this thing go to five, because we've seen this story too many
1: times. Jock currently starting tonight for Rosario, and uh, Heredia starting uh, over Soler, who, like you mentioned, is out with COVID-19. Let's take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll get to some of our Saturday takeaways. Didn't get to a lot of these games yesterday. Got a lot of college football to talk about that happened over this past weekend. You're listening to OnLine. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Going to hold off on the Saturday takeaways here for just a second. Want to get back to the SEC midseason report card, see if we can wrap up the SEC West here over the course of the rest of the show. We've already done Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas, Let's go ahead and get to LSU. We talked about them a little bit in making headlines just about how terrible their season's been so far. Noah, are you willing to commit to giving this team an uh, an F grade, or are you saying D, D- minus, somewhere around there?
2: LSU's not the only SEC team that I gave an F. LSU was the first one I gave an F, but they are not the only one. You can't say anything other than this season has been an absolute disaster.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I've got them. Uh, I've got them at an F as well. This team has struggled in so many different areas, and I, I talked about this briefly. I think on yesterday's show, Ed Ogeron, you know, came into this program and slowly devolved it away from what made it. What made it good? What made it LSU football? What made it what it was, right? They were able to run the football. They were able to establish dominance through the ground game. Darius Guy, Leonard Fournette, guys like that in the past under, under Les Miles. They were able to have, they had stingy defenses. They had really talented defensive backs that actually played up to their standard. They, they, were, they were really good on both sides of the ball. They won games that they should and they were playing at a consistently at a high level. They were recruiting at a high level. It was just a solid program all around. The culture there was fantastic. And then Ogeron won the title in 2019 with Joe Burrow, set a lot of records with the offense. And then in 2020, things kind of started to quickly go downhill. They couldn't establish the running game. The passing game was inconsistent, even though that's really statistically all they could do. The defensive backfield was putrid even though they had solid recruits and they just were not doing the things that made LSU football what LSU football was. And this season, we've seen those things heightened to the nth degree, right? We've seen this team struggle even worse, I feel like, in some of those areas. And Durante Jones... We thought I, I, my question, at Ed Ogeron had SEC media days. It's like, what is he going to do to make this defensive backfield better? He's like, well, we got to stop explosive plays I'm like, buddy, I'm seeing explosive plays left and right. I can't look away from the from the TV without either hearing or, or, or looking at the TV and seeing an explosive play happen. Your defensive backfield, regardless of how injured it may be, how injured this team may be, has still been really bad. And like you said, Noah, it's just been a disaster. They've not been able to win consistently. They've not been able to win at home. Because they lost to Auburn, a place that Auburn has not won in since 1999, like I said on yesterday's show. And like you broke down earlier, no, the rest of the schedule, I don't know if they win another SEC game. So, right now, as, as six games into the season, I think it's an F. And well, down the line, I think you're going to, at the end of the day, say the season was an F as well.
2: Well, I... Went on major rants all throughout the spring and in the off season about how I thought it was ridiculous that everybody was saying that this LSU team was just going to be incredible this year. It was going to have a major bounce back year, top ten type of caliber season. I just didn't see it, and it goes to the coordinator positions. I think the downfall of Ed Orgeron, similar to kind of some of the things that happened with Gene Chizik at Auburn, centers around what happened with the coaches. That were around him mm-hmm. and the coordinator failures that occurred down the line. You go back to that national championship season in 2019, of course, the stars aligned with a transcendent player a Cam Newton for Auburn, a Joe Burrow for LSU. You had coordinators that worked things out for them. It's not like LSU had an incredible defense. It's not like Auburn had an incredible defense when they won in 2010. They were just good. 2019 LSU's defense, 2010 Auburn's defense, very similar. They were good. They weren't incredible. They were just good. But the offense was so amazing, and they had that it factor that they were able to go on and win a national championship. And you look at the coordinators that those two teams had. Gus Malzahn had a super high reputation as a coordinator back then, and then college football caught up to his scheme a little bit but the same thing can be said about Joe Brady you look at that 2019 LSU football team you look at their two coordinators that they had and they are being successful elsewhere right now Joe Brady left immediately went to go and be the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers and look at the Carolina Panthers right now a much better football team than what we've been looking at over the last couple of years and that offense has a big part to do with that and you're seeing Sam Darnold although he had a rough weekend this past weekend in the league you can see he is even taking a step forward as a quarterback when he was having such a tough time with the New York Jets. And then you also look at the defensive coordinator for them at the time in 2019, Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda now at Baylor, and Baylor not in the top 25 this week, but they were earlier this season. This Baylor football team just beat West Virginia 45-20, to 20, should be on the cusp of getting ranked they're third in the Big 12, and they've just got one loss, five and one overall, and I think are a legitimate player in the Big 12 standings this year. They still get the opportunity to play Texas, Oklahoma. They just lost Oklahoma State 24-14. to I don't think Baylor will get to the Big 12 championship game, but I definitely think this team can finish top four in the Big 12 standings when it's all said and done. So you look at those two coordinators that helped make that team so special in 2019 – They left. And then how did you replace them? Ensminger was their coordinator last year who, although he's been coaching for a long time, he's one of those names in college football that just doesn't really do a whole lot for me. And then you look at the fact that they hire Bo Pelini, that was a disaster on the defensive side of the football. And then this year they follow it up with two people that everybody was super pumped about, but I'm like, these guys have never called plays before. So how was that going to work out? They hired two coordinators that either had zero or limited experience calling plays and or being a coordinator. How was that going to reboot
1: things for LSU? And And it it didn't. And it didn't. Just straight up. It just straight up didn't. And I thought... Throughout the entire offseason leading up until the final weeks, when whenever we final gave our project, finally gave our projections, I was in the exact same boat. And then I was like, at the very beginning of the season, right before the season started, I was like, well, LSU still has just so much talent on their roster. They've got a lot of guys coming back. I thought that they, that they would be able to make marginal improvement, if not get to an eight or nine win season this year. I thought that they would be able to do that just simply based on the talent with some new coordinators. Maybe just Bo Pelini and Steve Ensminger were the issues, and they got some new guys that had NFL uh, reputations, or at least I believe Durante Jones did. And I was looking at this team like, okay, maybe they can potentially figure it out, and they have imploded. will be interesting to see who LSU hires and what he does with those coordinator spots because you look at the talent still on roster they've still got it and they're still recruiting guys and you don't hear a lot of names entering the transfer portal other than day or dare rosenthal earlier this offseason you you don't hear that
2: you hear well i want to know if they're going to go in the direction of like bill clark or billy napier
1: right and so what I'm saying is my, my point being is there are a lot of kids right now in this LSU program that are happy with LSU and they are content to stay within the program. Whoever comes in, like you mentioned, Noah, a Bill Clark, a Billy Napier, a guy from the group of five, Jamie Chadwell, who I have spoken highly about for quite some time, somebody that could provide a spark for this LSU program, whoever steps into this thing is going to step into a, a situation where they can have immediate, su- immediate su- success because of all the talent on roster. I'm excited to see what this LSU program does after they let go of Ed Ocheron because I believe he will be let go pretty soon. I'm really surprised he was not fired on Sunday after they lost to Kentucky. Let's I want to say okay. one more go thing ahead, about that
2: coaching carousel before we move to the next team. I'll make this quick. I think LSU will more than likely look in the direction of a Billy Napier or a Bill Clark or a um, Jamie Chadwell, as you pointed out, a group of five coach because they're going to have to fork out some major cash – to move on from Ed Orgeron. He did have a contract extension back in 2019, and it was a substantial one at that. So if they do move on from Ed Orgeron this quickly, what did Auburn do? Auburn went to a first-year head coach. He had only been a head coach for one season. He was at Arkansas State when Auburn moved on from Gene Chizik. I think the LSU football program is experiencing a similar type of trajectory that Auburn experienced back in 2012, which means over the next decade, buckle up.
1: A roller coaster of emotions for Bayou Bengals fans. Absolutely. Let's real quick get to uh, one team here before we head to break. Mississippi State. What did you have them graded as?
2: I've got them at a C. There's been the good of Mississippi State and there's been the bad. The good is the fact that they're one and one right now in the SEC and they beat LSU and or excuse me, they lost LSU and beat Texas A&M. So the good is they beat Texas A&M at College Station, which A&M was a bad football team at that time. And the bad is the fact that they have losses to LSU and Memphis. But then there's been the good, like I said, NC State, Texas A&M. It's just a mixed bag of results for Mississippi State at this point, and I would say they're downright average
1: at C. I gave them a C plus because I still have a really hard time figuring out this team. You know, you beat NC State, you lose to Memphis, you beat Texas A and M, and you lose to LSU. I'm still trying to figure out what this team's ceiling is. I'm still trying to figure out whether or not Mike Leach can really elevate them to another level. And I think they're going to have opportunities to do it this season. You you look at this game against Alabama at home this weekend. They got to buy the line is 17 i'm not saying that alabama's going to lose this game but El- uh, mississippi state has the opportunity to come into this game and prove to the sec that they are a legitimate player not in the west race but they are just a legitimate team on the other side of this break more of on the line make sure you stick with us Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you. You're listening to On The Line on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports, Central Alabama. Want to call in, give your thoughts on what happened over this past weekend? Want to talk about Auburn's game against Arkansas this weekend? Call in. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or if you want to text us, 334-564-1840. In this block here, I do want to get to our Saturday takeaways. We didn't get to a lot of these games over the weekend, and there were quite a few matchups that we just simply did not get to talk about that were absolutely incredible. I want to start here at the top with Iowa against Penn State. 3-4 matchup. Iowa won 23-20. to Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback, was injured, and uh, the backup, I believe, went 7-20 of 20 and had an interception. So obviously the quarterback position affected the outcome of the game but uh, a point i want to make before we start off here noah is that uh and i'll pull up his name here real quick but the backup quarterback doesn't play defense and iowa was able to actually get enough points on the board to score which surprised me
2: that's right i'm still trying to figure out how many times out of 10 and this doesn't totally matter but in my mind if this game is played 10 times penn state wins it more often than not but you also have to look at Sean Clifford's performance mm-hmm. he was 15 for 25 146 yards two picks just because he got hurt and you bring in Taquan Robertson Sean Clifford didn't play great either so this Iowa defense continues to stifle opposing teams that they play against Iowa of course made that 13 point comeback in the second half, when Sean Clifford went down with an injury. So that did affect the outcome of the game, but you can't absolve Penn State from blame completely. Iowa's schedule from here out, and just looking at it now, pulling it up, this is who they've got left. I don't see any reason why they can't go undefeated. Home game against Purdue, back to back road games after a bye week against Wisconsin and Northwestern, back to back home games against Minnesota and Illinois, and then they wrap up the season on the road at Nebraska in a game that I believe will be enticing at the end of the season if Nebraska can finally figure out how to win a close ball game because it's clear based on what we've seen from them against Michigan State, Oklahoma, and Michigan, all games that they lost by three points with the exception of the Oklahoma game that they lost by seven This Nebraska team is better, and by the time that Iowa plays them at the end of the year, they will probably be a five- or a six-win team trying to get to a bowl game or maybe even do one better than that, and it's on the road in the sea of red. That's going to be a really tough game for Iowa, but at this point, all of the teams that they play from here out are offensively inept, and it will play right into what Iowa wants to do on the defensive side of the football. Get ready to watch Iowa beat a bunch of teams 24-13 to 13 over the next five weeks. I don't think that this is truly a number two team of the nation caliber-like team, but they've won all the games that they needed to win, buddy. These guys are going to go to the Big Ten championship game, barring a colossal
1: implosion. And I really hope that they don't, because I like Iowa's a program. I like I like, uh, I like Kirk, uh, Kirk Ferentz. I like this this uh, coaching staff. I like their roster. There's nothing in my mind to dislike about this program. It's just across college football, I think a lot of fans would agree. Iowa's just a overall just a likable program they're consistent they don't do anything that will really frustrate you they don't have guys or personalities on their roster that will stand out to a point where it's like Lane Kiffin where it's just like there's definitely uh some some people out there that would say that they just dislike him straight up I like this team I really hope that they do well and like you mentioned four total interceptions in this game against Penn State they just continue to win by forcing the other team to turn the ball over and if they continue to tr- uh, make teams turn the ball over in this back half of the schedule, and like you just mentioned, Noel, a lot of pretty easy games here as opposed to what they had in the first half, they should be able to close it out undefeated, barring, complete and total disaster. Another big 10 game here, Michigan 32, Nebraska 29. This was a game that I believe Michigan was down in by, by quite a bit. and then they were able 29 to, to 21 and they tied it. They were able to rally back and uh, 13 points in the fourth quarter for Michigan. Nebraska, this is something that you hinted at whenever we were doing our picks last Friday, Noah. This is a much-improved Nebraska football team. They've got Minnesota this weekend. They're favored by 3.5 on the road. This is a game where you just show, it, it just showed again. It's like, look, even though Scott Frost and this team lost, they are continuing to show improvement. They are continuing to show signs of life, and Michigan – just proved that what everybody, I feel like, was thinking is like, well, Michigan's not this invincible, right? And I think Nebraska definitely proved that they are, in fact, human. N- Michigan is.
2: Nebraska's definitely human, too, though. That is <laughs> and, true. and you look at the Nebraska season, and I'm still, every weekend, when I see Nebraska on television or I see that they're getting better or that, you know, insert new team here that's ranked inside the top 15, top 10 – that they only lose by one score to I think to myself how did this team get blown out by Illinois in week 1 how did they get beat by, like that because i look over at Illinois program right now and i'm seeing them get beat by three scores every weekend maybe even more than that and Illinois sitting at 2 and 5 and 1 and 3 in Big 10 play and Nebraska's below them in their conference standings Nebraska is a much better team than their record suggests they've still got a lot of time to prove it but time is running out on Scott Frost. If he could just have won one of these games against Oklahoma, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska maybe has a lot more confidence. Like if they had beaten Oklahoma, you know, a month ago whenever that game was played, does Nebraska go on and beat Michigan State and Michigan because of confidence and being able to build upon that win? Some teams just have to some teams have to learn how to win. And some teams just haven't Some teams just don't know how to do that. They don't know how to win a football game. I know that from personal experience as a Browns fan. I had to watch the Browns learn how to win. I've seen a lot of teams be rebuilt in my time. High school level, college level, pro level, you have to watch these teams learn how to win. And Nebraska hasn't learned how to win yet. And we can talk about how improved they are and how many close games that they can play. But until they learn how to win... These type of bizarre losses are going to continue to haunt them, and it may mean the end of Scott Frost at the end of the year, even though he has done some work inside this program, which is absolutely crazy. I go back to this point that I bring up almost on a weekly basis now. We could be looking at a coaching carousel that has USC, Nebraska, Wisconsin, LSU, Miami, and Florida State. And I'm, uh, Roll call-wise, am I missing anybody? Because those are some of the biggest programs in college football history, and they all could be moving on from their coaches at the end of the season.
1: Another game here that just I, I just despise this final score 32 to 29 as well. Notre Dame victors over Virginia Tech. Uh, in, in, at Virginia Tech, that is, Jack Cohn had a really rough start to the game. Then he got benched. Then he came back in and, and won the game for Notre Dame. This is this is why I despise Notre Dame. It is it is truly why I despise Notre Dame. They're not a good football team and they find ways to win against inferior competition or competition that is on their level. It is just incredibly frustrating football to watch as a fan who despises the bias that they get. This was a frustrating game to uh, to, to have to witness. I don't
2: know if they're getting the same level of bias though that not this season they
1: did back in the day,
2: Well, I mean, they've been undefeated, though, all these other years. And they do play a schedule that features mainly Power 5 teams, right? Like, if Notre Dame goes undefeated, we've got a four-team college football playoff. And me and you have had these discussions when talking about college football playoff expansion. If Notre Dame goes undefeated, I'm okay with sticking them in the college football playoff most years just because I don't believe generally that there are typically four teams that are actually, like, good enough to win a national championship right so if somebody goes undefeated like a Notre Dame that at least is playing a 75 percent schedule of power conference teams and they do attempt to challenge themselves I do think that they do deserve to get there I mean they end up ranked fourth it's not like they're putting them number one back in the day they would put them at number one that I don't think they're receiving that same level of bias but I am with you it can be incredibly frustrating to see them limp through a schedule like this where they should have some losses. And I picked this upset over the weekend and it didn't happen. And as for somebody that was seven and eight in college football picks this past weekend, it too did rub salt in my wounds. Alabama losing was the only redeeming quality of the weekend, but Notre Dame, I think they're young. We know this, Lance. They're an incredibly young team. They only brought back three players on offense, three starters on offense. They brought back about two-thirds of their defense. They're an incredibly young team, only had like 11 total starters returning. That's half of their returning production from last year, and they have found a way to win football games. I think that should be scary for other group of five teams around college football down the line, not this season, but in the future, because this is such a young Notre Dame team. What happens when one of these younger quarterbacks on the roster figures it out? What happens when this team comes together? Not this season, because I don't think it will happen this year, but down the line next year, two years from now, this could end up being a really good Notre Dame team. Not good enough to win a national championship. Just because they're not good enough to win a national championship, though, doesn't mean they're not a good program and a good football team. They've got talent. They're just really young right now. And they, too, though, and we were just talking about Nebraska, the, the difference between Nebraska and Notre Dame right now, and I think you would pick Nebraska to beat Notre Dame, just knowing you, Lance, uh, and, and I say that with a massive smile on my face because I probably would pick Nebraska, too, in this year's scenario. But the big difference between Notre Dame and a Nebraska, there's really not a huge gap there, I don't think, from the way that they're playing the football game. Right. They're both playing the game at about the same caliber, but one of these teams knows how to win – and one of these teams has a coach that knows how to coach his team to win, and one of these teams does not. And that's why on the rundown I butted these two games up together because the big difference here between a Notre Dame and a Nebraska this year is not
1: their level of play. It is the fact that one of these teams knows how to win and one of them does not. And both of them have mid-schedules and just one of them survives them and another one doesn't. It's just as, as simple as that. And I'm not saying that Notre Dame isn't talented I'm just saying that they're not as talented as some of the other schools across the nation, and if they were forced to play an ACC schedule like we saw last year, would have been fun. I don't think we see that every single season. I just don't. You put them in a conference, I don't think they're able to, to survive the way that they have outside uh, consistently in years past. Final game here before we go to break. This is a game that, I, jokingly I say, I don't feel like you a- analyze. You just kind of watch in awe, and you just appreciate it. Oklahoma 55 Texas 48 this was a game I believe where Texas was up 28 to 7 at one point Oklahoma switched quarterbacks Caleb Williams came in they rallied back and they scored a go-ahead touchdown with one second left Kennedy Brooks ran it I believe was a 33 yard touchdown just a fantastic Red River shootout game
2: man talk about Spencer Rattler right there has been the great of Spencer Rattler which I think you look at the last you know you know 75 percent of last season for oklahoma after the first four or five games for oklahoma after they started two and two and you see him really come on as a quarterback enough to where it's almost the the conclusion is that and he was the heisman favorite going into this year the conclusion was like oh this guy you know next oklahoma quarterback to win the heisman but you know rarely do things actually work out cookie cutter like that and now He's been benched for Caleb Williams. I don't know if they've named Caleb Williams the starter for the rest of the season for Oklahoma or anything like that. I just haven't seen that. They may have. I don't know. But Caleb Williams comes in, puts up a 98.1 QBR, whereas Spencer Rattler had an 11.3. And a couple weeks ago when we saw Oklahoma struggle against West Virginia, you heard the student section chant for Spencer Rattler to be benched and to bring in Caleb Williams. And that was the same day that that happened with – bonex in the georgia state game and it's kind of interesting to see the parallel between the two programs and oklahoma has still found ways to win football games and the difference there is oklahoma could afford to move on to their backup quarterback and they were right about it he ended up having an excellent game he was 16 for 25 212 yards two touchdowns bright future for a guy like caleb williams auburn on the other hand really has it doesn't have the confidence i don't think To move to a tj finley yet to move on from a bo nicks and honestly i don't think that that should be the discussion anymore because bo nicks has played i think so well over the last two weeks that it's put to bed any type of quarterback controversy that there might have been but talking specifically about oklahoma here it's just so interesting to see what has happened at the quarterback position for spencer rattler to go in this pendulum-like motion where he plays a really good game against Kansas State after a bad game against West Virginia and then follows it up with a bad game, and what is the biggest game of the season for Oklahoma, and then they move on to this next guy, and it's like, is this it for Spencer Radler? And then if so,
1: where does he transfer to going into next season? And that's a question I was going to ask you, is where do you think he transfers if he elects to? I don't know, but man, should Auburn get into the sweepstakes? I think, it's, I, think it, uh, I think it would be interesting to see Auburn become a factor. I also think it would be funny to see LSU uh, as a potential landing spot for, uh, for Spencer Rattler. I don't know if that's possible, but I would love to see it. And Spencer Rattler may not be even benched
2: yet, but in today's day and age, and I don't want to say that he is going to transfer, maybe he wants to stick it out at Oklahoma, but getting benched for Caleb Williams, who I believe is a younger quarterback than him. Isn't Caleb Williams a true freshman? I believe, yes. Yes, he is. He is a true freshman. So if he were to be benched for a true freshman, and Spencer Rattler's been in the program for now, this is his third season inside the program, If it, it just seems like from other instances in college football that he would transfer. And if he does, there's we know he's got the arm talent. The question is, can you work some things out with that decision-making where he has been bad at times and prone to mistakes? He's got the arm talent to make any throw on the football field, and I think a lot of football teams will be super interested in him, whether it be a Clemson, who things are not working out for DJ Ungelele right now. or And, and I don't think Ohio State will really be a major player in it because they like a lot of their quarterbacks on the roster, but there will be teams in the, in the Power Five that maybe could see this as a major upgrade to their quarterback position. And LSU, like you mentioned, I could see this guy going anywhere in Power 5 football, and any of those teams would be super blessed and super lucky to have his talent on the roster. The question is, can you channel it the right way and get this guy to be focused on the football field and put him in a position to where he's going to lead your team? Those are the other things that you have to look at. The talent's there, but does everything else surrounding the talent work out? Can he lead your football team? Is he ready to be a leader on your football team? Is he going to have the right attitude with your football team? Is he the right fit? Those are also things that you have to consider when you venture into the transfer portal. But right now, we don't even know if this guy's lost his job yet.
1: And if he does like to transfer, just real quick, looking at some of the interests that uh, some other schools had uh, with him coming out of high school, Alabama, uh, Arizona State, Miami, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, I mean, there are a bunch of different Power 5 schools that are, that are definitely up there that could potentially be looking at picking up Rattler if he does elect to transfer. But again, we don't know that yet. Let's wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. <music> Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama got a couple minutes here to wrap up the show want to ask you Noah, before we get out of here you know we were talking a lot with jeremy law of radio alabama sports today about the alabama a&m game and what it what it could potentially mean for alabama moving forward how how do we perceive this team could they potentially slip up like this again my question to you Noah, is what kind of impact did alabama losing to texas a&m what kind of impact did it make on the rest of the sec
2: Well, it created some wiggle room for pretty much everybody in the race with the exception of Ole Miss. So I need to bring up the SEC standings real quick just to see exactly how many teams are still in play. But it did a lot for Auburn. And Auburn still already controlled their destiny after losing to Georgia because they lost to an SEC East team. Auburn losing to an SEC East team, as long as they won out in the division – They would hold the tiebreakers over everybody at the end of the season. So losing to Georgia at 230 on Saturday did not kill Auburn. But when Alabama went and lost to Texas A&M, that gave Auburn even more wiggle room, as I already pointed out, as long as they don't lose to Ole Miss. Auburn could lose to any other team left on their SEC schedule and I would still feel comfortable, and I'm saying all of this up until the Alabama game, and I would still feel comfortable in saying that Auburn will be playing for the SEC West Championship against Alabama in the Iron Bowl at the end of the season. You could lose to any of them with the exception of Ole Miss. The reason why I say that is because I don't think Ole Miss has too many losses, if any, left on their schedule outside of Auburn and if they do lose to Auburn, that being Ole Miss, they're at two losses at that point. Say Auburn loses to Arkansas this weekend, and Auburn's now at two losses. I think Arkansas is going to lose to Alabama at the end of the year. So there's three losses for Arkansas. LSU still has more losses on their schedule. AM would lose to Auburn in this hypothetical situation. That would put them at three. Mississippi State's losing to Alabama this weekend, and then they would also lose to Auburn in this scenario Even if Auburn were to lose to Arkansas this weekend, if Auburn wins out outside of that game, Auburn and Alabama are playing for the spot in the SEC Championship because Auburn, it would then come down to, as far as tiebreakers are concerned, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Auburn would all have two losses in the SEC at the end of the season if Auburn were to beat Alabama, and then Auburn would own the tiebreakers against those two teams.
1: A lot of football left to be played in the Southeastern Conference. That's going to do it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow. Got Report Wednesday coming up. Going to take a look at the Arkansas Razorbacks. We'll see you guys then.